If you have your Bible, let's take and turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, if you are using one of uh, our Boulder Valley Bibles, that's going to be on page 967. Galatians chapter 5, page 967. We'll read a few verses here together tonight. And I believe we'll glean something very valuable from the Word of God as we make our way into the application side of things. Galatians is like a 12-point sermon with a whole bunch of application at the end. And we've made our way through those 12 points of interpretation, explanation, and, uh, and theology. And now we're seeing how that theology affects our lives. And so Galatians chapter 5, once you've found your place there, if you'll stand in honor of God's word, we'll read verses 13 through verse 15 tonight. We left off right at the beginning of chapter 13, and so we'll read the beginning of chapter 13 again, but we'll kind of just make reference to this first phrase as it relates to our passage. So Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. You ever known somebody that just has a way of biting you with, your, with their words? <laughs> he says, be careful, you bite and devour one another, then you're going to be consumed one of another. And so the title of our message tonight is this, the proper use of your newfound freedom. The proper use. We want to make sure we don't use our freedom for ourselves, but we use it in the right ways. The proper use of your newfound freedom. May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. Freedom is a tremendous blessing from God. It truly is. But freedom can be used both for good and freedom can be used for evil as well. A case in point is what took place on Tuesday in Uvalde, Texas. Horrifically tragic school shooting took 21 lives, most of whom were children. Now in the United States of America, we do have the freedom, the right to keep and bear arms. It is our Second Amendment constitutional right. And it was granted by our founding fathers so that we could defend ourselves both from foreign and domestic enemies. And while one man can use that freedom to defend his home from a burglar, right, it's, uh, we, you, hear, you hear stories rarely because they just don't get out there because they're not big news and they don't fit the cultural narrative. But there are many, many times where an entire family and an entire home is protected because of the right to keep and bear arms, where a father, a husband is able to protect his family because he has a gun, either scares off or unfortunately has to use deadly force. But he has that right and uses that right to protect his family. There are some who like to hunt. I've never hunted in my life before, 
but I know amongst Baptist circles, that is a very um, big deal <laughs> as we traveled about going church to church in Missouri and Oklahoma and Texas. I came to one pastor in Nebraska and he said, I know why you're going to Boulder. Are you God called or are you elk called is what he said, or the elk calling you. And I told him, you know, I've grown up there. I've never hunted a day in my life. So I know it's not the hunting that's calling me there. But we have some people that they, they hunt and they take that animal and they have it fixed up and they are able to feed their family off of it. There are some on TV and, and events and things that make a living by hunting or they make a living by uh, shooting competitions and shooting targets and those kind of things. Um, we have our police force who are also able to uh, carry weapons and use that freedom to be able to defend people. And then you have uh, those who, who make their living that way. And so we understand this, that there are those who use that freedom in a way it was intended. They use that freedom for good. They use that freedom for the right kind of purpose. But there are, unfortunately, some who use it for a horrible and evil purpose, as we saw this week. It's evil, it's tragic, and it's devastating. But what I want to say, and especially in Boulder, this would be an extremely hot take, <laughs> that the freedom is not the problem. The freedom is not the problem. The way the individual uses that freedom is the problem. The fact of the matter is, is that we are sinners. And because we are sinners, every one of us has the propensity to use our freedom either for good or for evil at different levels of evil. But sometimes we use our freedoms to benefit ourselves at the expense of others because that's how we are. We tend to be selfish by nature. And so freedom's not the problem. It's the way the individual uses that freedom that is the problem. And I want to say that such is also true of the liberty that we've been granted by Jesus Christ. That liberty can be used in tremendous ways to glorify God, to help people, and to be a blessing to people. And then that same exact freedom can also be used in horrendous ways to gratify the flesh and to hurt people. It's not the fact that we have this freedom in Christ that is the problem. It's the way the individual uses their freedom in Christ that is the problem. What do you mean by freedom? Am I talking about our freedoms as Americans? Well, no, those of you that have been with us on Thursday nights, you understand our, our theme for this series is living life in the liberty of Christ. And what has happened is the churches in the region of Galatia, which would be modern day Turkey, they've had some false doctrine that has crept into their church where these teachers have come along and they've told them that you do need Jesus Christ, that we have motion sensors. And so if nobody's moving around, those will shut off, just so you know. Anyways, so <laughs> what's happened is that they have been told by these false teachers that they can somehow obtain a better righteousness and a better acceptance with God than the one that they have in Jesus Christ. And they can earn that through the works of the Old Testament law, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And so they, they have told them that, yes, you need Jesus Christ. He initiates your righteousness with God. But to live righteously here in this life, 
you need to keep the Old Testament law, the dietary laws, the holy days. The men need to be circumcised to become a literal Jew in order to truly be accepted and become a child of, of God. But Paul has been writing to them in this letter to show them that Christ has freed them from the law, that there's no more need to keep that Old Testament law. There's no more need to keep all those sacrifices and holy days and all of those things because of the freedom that you have through Christ. And one of the things that those Judaizers taught them was that the way that you live righteously here today, the way that you don't use that liberty uh, that Christ has given you from sin to use it as an occasion to your flesh, to use it as a license to sin, the way you avoid that side of the ditch is to keep the Old Testament law, that you need the law to be righteous today. And what Paul has been telling them is you don't need the law to be righteous today because that's a job the Holy Spirit of God does way better than the Old Testament law ever did because the reality is this, there's a lot in the pages of the Old Testament law, a lot that we don't keep, a lot that we fail to live up to. And so thank God that he's freed us from that through Christ. We don't live under the bondage of the Old Testament law anymore. We have the Holy Spirit. Well, the next natural argument for the Judaizers then is this. Freedom from the law gives you a license to sin. That if you don't have to keep the Old Testament and the law, then what you're going to do is you're naturally just going to go out into the world. You're going to live it up however you want. You're not going to be holy. You're going to go back into paganism. You're going to go back into uh, lustfulness and licentiousness and all those things of your past life. And so they said that that's what's going to happen. But Paul is explaining to them that that is a wrong way to use your liberty that you have in Christ. So here's the question then. If we are free from the law, then how do we use that freedom in a right way? How do we live life in the liberty of Christ without living in sin, without just going off and doing whatever we want to do? What will help us govern our freedom without the law so that we don't use it in a licentious way? That's the question that our text answers tonight. While we have been called unto liberty, we are not to use our liberty as a license to sin. Paul says in verse 13, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Again, if you go back to last week, we talked about this race that we've been entered into that's been initiated by the gospel, guided by truth, and led by the Holy Spirit. This word called means to be summoned to the starting line of that race. He's saying you've been called by Jesus Christ unto liberty through your salvation. You no longer have to live under the binds of the law. Now Paul says, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. Uh, so he says you're not to use your liberty for an occasion to the flesh. What does this word occasion mean? Well, it's actually a military term for them and it means uh, it, it would describe the the place from which a movement or an attack goes forth it, we would call it this the base of operations you know that the military they've got their their place where they're set up they've got their tents there they've got their technology there and they're sorting through how they're going to go out into this uh, battle that's the word occasion it's the base of operations it, it could also mean the starting point 
And so what the Apostle Paul is saying here is you're not to use your liberty as a grounds or a means or a base of the operations of the flesh. You're not to use it in, in a way that your flesh can just go out and operate from your liberty and just say, hey, I don't have to live as a Jew. That means I can go live as a pagan. That's, that's what he's saying. You don't do that. That's not what it's about. Well, what's the flesh here talking about? The flesh. Now, when we talk about flesh, we're thinking about our skin, you know, as our flesh. The Apostle Paul uses the analogy of a flesh throughout all of his letters to talk about our old sinful nature, our, our sinful nature. Because here's the truth is that when you believe the gospel, you call on Christ to save you. Your sin is nailed to the cross. It's buried in that tomb and it's left there when Jesus rose again. And so that means that now your sin, past, present and future, because you are in Jesus Christ, cannot touch you. God looks at your life as a born-again believer, and he sees you as righteous and only righteous. That means everything you've ever done is completely erased. It talks in, in the book of Colossians about how he took those ordinances that were once against you, that long list of sins in your life, and he took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. He sees it no more. Jesus bore your sin on the cross. But you have not yet been fully liberated from the sinful nature that is within us. Anybody been at war with that nature this week? You know, it, the temptations that you deal with, the tendencies to rear up in pride when somebody attacks you, the tendency to get angry and to go off at people when things don't go your way, the tendency to get frustrated when things don't go your way, the, I mean, the, the tendency to get so angry and furious when you hear about something that happened. And there is a righteous anger, but when it comes to uh, tragedies like that, you can become so angry that you just wish evil upon people. That's our fleshly and sinful nature. The temptations to look at things that you shouldn't look at, to drink things you shouldn't drink, to smoke things that you shouldn't smoke, to smoke, to say words that you shouldn't say. I mean, we deal with those things. That is evidence that we still have a war taking place within us. And that war is with our flesh. And the Bible refers to it as our old man, that the old man will not yet be removed until the day that Jesus Christ returns and he gives us a perfect, holy, sinless, glorified body. And at that time, there will be no more cuts and bruises. There will be no more sicknesses and diseases. There, there will be no more old, sinful nature constantly coming at you and wanting its way in your life. That'll be a glorious day. But unfortunately, that day's not here yet. And so we still have to deal with our sinful nature. We have to live with this flesh and it wants its own way so much so that somebody might be tempted to use their liberty they have in Jesus Christ as a license to sin. The flesh, to, to allow that flesh to do whatever it wants. That if they want to eat way too much food, then they'll go be a glutton. Anybody struggle with that? Yeah, I think at our cookout on Saturday, I was struggling with it a little bit. Probably some other folks were struggling a little bit. They brought those crumble cookies and you just wanted to keep eating them and eating them. And when it was gone, you wanted to go get another one. I mean, that's, that's part of the flesh, indulging itself, right? 
If your flesh wants a buzz, they'll go get some beer. If they want a high, then they'll go smoke a joint or they'll shoot something into their veins. Uh, if, their flesh, uh, if their flesh wants to get its sexual fill, then they'll go to whatever website is necessary or, or whatever app that they want to go to or they'll say whatever it takes or do whatever it takes just to get what they want from who they want. That's what happens when you allow the flesh to reign in your life, when it gets control. Whatever the sinful flesh is craving will be whatever the sinful flesh is getting. Well, if I, uh, here's the thinking. If I've been liberated from keeping the Old Testament law, then I have a license to do whatever I want, don't I? I don't have to follow all those rules and regulations. Well, what Paul is saying here is that's not the purpose of your liberty. It's not to use it for whatever you want to get. It's not to use it for whatever your desires are. He didn't give you that liberty for yourself. The liberty that you've been granted by Jesus Christ has not been granted to you for you to just freely indulge in your flesh. It's not designed to be the base of your sinful operations. That's what he's saying. So then what, what, what do we do with this liberty? Well, we are called to use our liberty to serve one another in love. If you look at verse, the end of verse 13, he says, but by love, serve one another. You have that word where, where it says, but by love. The idea of that word by is that it, it's the avenue through which your service flows. That it's going to flow through your love for people. This word love, of course, is the word agape, which Jesus elevated in his ministry. And it was a selfless love. It was a self-giving love, a self-sacrificing love, one that looks to the needs of others ahead of their own. That's the kind of love that, that Jesus called us to. It often it's translated charity. Why would it be translated charity? Well, what do you do when you give to a charity? <laughs> of your own good graces, your giving of what you have to some charity to go to people you have no idea who they are in places you have no idea where they are necessarily. It means that you're not really expecting anything back. You're just giving of your own self-will. You're sacrificing of what you have for the benefit of others. That's what this word agape means. And it says out of this kind of love, self-giving, self-sacrificing, that we are to serve one another. Now, when you study your Bible, there's going to be two Greek words for serve that you're going to see. One of them is the word doulos, and one of them is the word diakonos, from which we get our word deacon. Now, the word deacon, diakonos, has to do with the activity of the servant. It's the ministry of the deacon. It's what they specifically are doing on behalf of somebody else. And so diakonos has to deal with the specific outworking of the service. The word doulos, on the other hand, has to do with the relationship between the servant and the master. Okay, let me illustrate it through a biblical example. In the Old Testament, what would happen is the Hebrew people were permitted to sell themselves to another Hebrew in order to pay off a debt. And so it basically would be hired work. I owe somebody something, and so I'm going to work for this guy. He's going to pay off my debt. Or you would go to work for the specific individual that you owe the debt to. And so you have a, a person who enslaves himself to somebody in order to pay off his debt. Now, the way that Jewish law worked 
was you had six years of service. And, and if your debt was less than six years worth of service, then you could go free when that debt was paid off. But no matter what, at the end of the sixth year, as you go, as you go into the seventh year, you were freed, regardless of whatever that debt was. And that was to keep it from being lifelong, uh, uh, rigorous slavery. That was God's way of providing a way out of debt without enslaving someone in the way that we think of slavery. Okay, And so what happens, though, is at the end of that time, the servant could choose, you know what? I love my master. I love the family that I've developed here in his household. I would rather just keep serving and keep working for this man for the rest of my life. That was an option. And so if he chose to do that, then the master would pierce through his ear and that would be a permanent mark that would show a permanent relationship between the servant and the master. That's the word doulos. It has to do with a permanent binding relationship between a servant and a master. And so what he says here is by love, serve one another. What he's saying here is that that out of this self-giving, self-sacrificing love, here's what you need to do. You need to choose to make yourself a lifelong servant to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, we're not talking about go live in their homes and literally be a slave to them. What he's talking about is there needs to be a new relationship here between you and your brothers and sisters in Christ. And it needs to be this. I'm your servant. I'm going to do whatever you need. I'm going to help you in whatever way you might ask. That is now my goal in life is to serve you. That's what he's talking about is in this self-sacrificing, self-giving way. You are to use your liberty from the law to free you up to serve others in love. Well, well, how does this work together? The freedom from the law and the service. Well, if you are bound to the Old Testament law, then you're going to spend the vast majority of your time trying to read through, trying to study. Okay, let's make sure that I'm, I'm doing the meal this way, that I'm washing my dishes this way, that I'm going to the temple at this particular time and, and make sure that my child's being circumcised at this particular age and make sure I'm keeping this holy day. I got to have this long detailed calendar that has all the feasts and all the festivals. I mean, there's enough in, in this section. I mean, just about, let's grab it here. There's enough in this section to keep you busy for a good long while. If you're going to try to memorize that, if you're going to try to keep all of those laws, that's going to tie up your time quite a bit. Going to those festivals, making your way to Jerusalem for several times a year for the Feast of Tabernacles and the Passover and Pentecost. Keeping the law is going to bind you. That's the idea of what we're talking about here. Well, Christ has freed you from the law. And so now you've got all this time on your hands because you're not worried about that. Well, how do I use this liberty? How do I use this time? Is it to gratify my flesh? No, he says, use this time in love to serve one another. Use it to enter into this relationship with your brothers and sisters in Christ where you're going to meet their needs, where you're going to give of yourself to them, sacrifice of your, your needs or your wants for them. In fact, that's really how you fulfill all the law. Look at verse 14. Oh, I'm in Deuteronomy. That's not going to help. <laughs> verse 14. For all the law, all the law 
is fulfilled. That word fulfilled means brought to a completion. (laughs) It's finished. In one word, one message, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And so rather than needing to give themselves to fulfilling every single line of the law, if they would just love their neighbors as much as they love themselves, they're naturally going to fulfill the law anyways. (laughs) They're going to be kind. They're not going to bear false witness. They're going to honor their father and their mother. They're not going to steal. They're not going to kill. They're not going to cheat. They're not going to rip people off. They're not going to be covetous of their neighbor's wife or lands or possessions. Why? Because they're so focused on loving each other that they don't even have time to think about doing all those other things. They have no desire to do all those things. Why? Because they're living out the love of Jesus in these people's lives. And so here's what he's saying. If you'll love your neighbor as yourself, that's going to take care of whatever requirements there would be in the law in the first place. And so what you need to do is by love, serve one another. Now, when you read verse 14, it brings back to mind a passage in Luke chapter 10 when a lawyer comes to Jesus and says, and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, what does the law say? And he says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And Jesus said to him, thou hast rightly judged this do, and thou shalt live. See, many of those Pharisees thought, I love God with all my heart and I love my neighbor as myself. And Jesus said, absolutely. If you can keep the entire law perfectly, then, yeah, your righteousness will be good enough to get you to heaven. Here's the problem. You can't because you know what that man's follow up question was? Who's my neighbor? (laughs) And you know what Jesus said? There was a man, a Jewish man who fell among thieves And these really spiritual guys, a Levite and a priest, walked by him, looked at him, saw his condition, and went the other way. One of them went all the way across the street to avoid the man. Then came this Samaritan. And this good Samaritan doesn't normally have good dealings with the Jewish people. And yet this Samaritan went out of his way, picked up this man, wrapped him up, put him on his mule, took him into town, brought him to a hospital, paid all of his bills and said, if there's anything extra when I come back, I'll pay you to the utmost. You know what Jesus was saying? You know what it means to love your neighbor? Not just to love those you get along with, but to love those you don't get along with. That's what loving people is. That's what is self-giving, self-sacrificing. Why would you love somebody who you may not get along with it? Because it's not about you. It's about them. And so what Paul's doing here is he's teaching the Galatians to exercise their Christian liberty by loving and serving others above themselves. That's how you use your liberty in a right way. And then in verse 15, Paul uses an example of what it looks like not to use Christian liberty in the right way. Look at verse 15. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed of one another. See, when we fail to use our liberty in the right way, it always ends in destruction. It'll always end in destruction if you don't use it the right way. See, 
the Galatians, because of this false teaching that's come up, they're dealing with a major schism in all their churches. There are those who are on the side of the Judaizers that say, yes, you have to keep the Old Testament law. And then there are those on Paul's side that says, no, you don't have to keep the Old Testament law. And the people on this side are yelling at the people on this side and they're going to town on one another. Then you got these over here that say that you have to that you can use your liberty as a license. And you have these over here that says you have to use your liberty to keep the law. <laughs> you don't really have liberty. See, a lot of times when we picture this, here's what we think is that they're going down the road of Christianity and they come to a fork in the road. And in this fork in the road on this side, they've got the Judaizers that are saying you have to keep the law. And on this side, they got Paul saying, you don't have to keep the law. And both of these people are begging and pleading them, come over to our side. If only you knew, if only you saw this truth, come to our side. That's kind of how we think of it. But here's really more how it was going. Over here, you've got the Judaizers and they've already stated their case. And then you've got Paul over here in this letter stating his case. They're on a debate stage. They are rebutting one another. They're stating their arguments against one another. And then you've got the Galatian churches out here in the crowd. And what they are doing is they are biting one another, devouring one another, trying to sort through all this information and figure out which side is right. And this side saying we're right. And this side saying, no, we're right. And then after Paul speaks, you got people on this side going back and forth. No, we're right. No, we're right. And over here, you got the same thing going on. And you got all this division, and he's saying, if ye bite and devour one another. I mean, he uses a vivid picture. These words have to do with the way that wild animals would come at each other until they finish each other off. He says, if you bite and devour one another, you better watch out because you're going to end up consuming one another, destroying each other ruining each other spiritually. It was interesting to look up this word and it's actually used in a maritime uh, context as well that they would loosen the ties from the mooring and depart on a ship. Now when you consider that context here, what Paul's saying is you've got these doctrinal divisions going on right now and you're sorting through what to believe and that's fine. You got to figure out what you believe. You got to sort through that but there's a way to go about it that is using the liberty of Christ to serve each other. And there's a way to go about it that uses the liberty of Christ as a license to bite and to devour and to be hateful toward each other. And what will happen is if you continue, that's the language there, the grammar. If you continue biting and devouring one another, then you're going to have some who are destroyed and you're going to have some who depart altogether. They loosen the moorings of their faith and they just go on. And so what he's saying here is when you don't use your liberty that you've been granted by Jesus Christ in a way that's going to love and serve one another, it's always going to end in destruction. And so he tells them, use not your liberty for an occasion of the flesh, but by love, serve one another. See, when you fail to use your liberty to serve one another and you allow the flesh to take over, you'll end up consumed and destroyed. And that is good for no one, for no one. See, the liberty that we have received from Jesus Christ, it is a beautiful commodity to have. I mean, it's a blessing that we're not compelled to keep 
the dietary laws and that we don't have to keep this long detailed calendar of all these festivals and all these days that we have to keep and we don't have to memorize exodus through deuteronomy and make sure we're following each of those i mean there are things in there about a man giving away his daughter there are things in there about a way that you go about divorce a way that you don't go about remarriage and there's all these different i mean these different lines for daily applications of life and the way that you offer sacrifices and all those things. I mean, it really is tedious. <laughs> That's why the Apostle Paul called it a schoolmaster, a tutor, a governor, because you're going through life and it's just nitpicking at you to death, pointing out all your flaws and your failures. And let me just say this. That's what it was designed to do. It was to show you you need a savior so that then when you understand that Jesus Christ came and that he took the curse upon himself for his written curses, everyone that hangeth on a tree, and he hung on the cross of Calvary, and he suffered and he shed his blood for you, that he did that to remove the curse of the law from you and to free you from the law, because the truth of the matter is that you couldn't keep it anyway, so he kept it for you, and now he has freed you from that law, and that is a blessing. It's even better to know that by faith in Christ, we've been delivered from the curse of the law, the consequences of our failures, the consequences of our mistakes. Because, of, because we could not keep them, Jesus lived up to them and he became cursed to redeem us who were cursed by the law. So now we're free from the law. But just as it is true, that you can use your American freedoms for evil. You can also use your Christian freedoms for selfish purposes out of a desire to gratify your own flesh and the lusts and the desires of your flesh. Let's just walk through some examples here. A husband might use his supposed liberty here to mistreat his wife as though she's nothing but a slave. A husband can come to the place where he thinks of his wife as nothing more than a waitress whose responsibility is to cook, clean, do the laundries, and take my shoes off at night. A man can use his liberty wrongly to do that. These days, kids look at their parents and expect them to do everything for them. My parents are going to make my bed. They're going to brush my teeth for me. And they're 14 years old. They're going to do my laundry for me. They're going to clean up my toys out of the yard. They're going to clean up my room for me. And so now what's happened is we've got an entire generation of children who thought that adults were put there to serve them. And it's no wonder they have no idea how to serve people. Why we have such a selfish young generation. Now I'm talking about my generation. I'm talking about a younger generation as well that is so self-consumed in their social media and all their apps and in what they have to do. And then when a mom and dad comes to them and tries to talk to them about important things, they just brush it off like they're nothing. And then they say, so when's dinner? You know, kids can use the liberty that they have in Christ to be very selfish toward their parents, to try to be served instead of served. A boss can look at his employees as second-class citizens, pay them cheap labor. They, they won't give them any time off because they want to take their own time off. A boss can be like that. An older brother might look at his younger brother like he's a pipsqueak. 
and like his little brother is there to serve all his needs, his wants and his wishes, and that he's the one who's there to do the dishes and he's the one there to do the laundry and to clean up the game room and to mow the grass and to take the trash down. And so you've got little brother being treated like a slave, doing everything around the house while old bro- older brother's getting fat on the couch playing video games. I mean, that's what we've got in our society today. Serve me is the attitude. A young man might look at a girlfriend as property by which he gets all of his physical desires fulfilled, but he has no interest in marriage, no interest in the kind of commitment that could bring that young lady the security that she's never had before in her life because her dad was a failure. But he can just say, no, as long as I'm getting what I want, what she wants doesn't really matter. That's not a right way to use our liberty. As evidenced in this text, it's possible for someone to bite and devour others, whether to their face or behind their back. Families get in shouting matches at home. Church members can start going at each other behind the back. They can start going at each other in front of the face of each other. And the pastor may be totally oblivious and totally clueless to it, and yet it could be going on out in the, in the congregation. And gossip can permeate a church. It can destroy reputations and inflict much damage and harm for the cause of Christ. The common theme through each of these scenarios is that the individual is far more interested in his own needs than he is in meeting the needs of others. Using your liberty in Christ for selfish purposes, here's what it does. It destroys relationships and it hurts people. That's what happens. So how are we supposed to use our liberty that we have in Christ? Well, we're to exercise our Christian liberty by loving and serving one another above ourselves. That's backwards to our day and time, isn't it? We live in a day and time that's me first. It started with MySpace, then Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat. And now you've got all these different things where everybody builds their own little world and they present this. uh, It's me promotion is what it is. It's advertising and marketing yourself. That's the society that we live in today. It's very self-promoting. And yet I love the way that our Savior confronts culture and says, no, it's not about you. It's about others. I can think of no greater example of selfless, self-giving love and sacrifice than the Lord Jesus Christ. He left the glories and the praises of heaven for a human body to live here amongst proud, arrogant, self-sufficient, sinful individuals. And he came to suffer, to bleed, to die, and to pour out his life on the cross. And in doing so, he selflessly met our greatest need. So we could be forgiven. So we could have eternal life. So we could escape the wrath and the condemnation of God. And he did it because he wasn't selfish. He did it because it was what we needed. He lived the kind of love that he calls each of us to. And so 
How do you live like Jesus did? How do you use, what does it look like when you use your liberty in a way that Jesus did? Well, a husband and a father ought to use this Christian liberty to serve his family, to serve his family, to do the dishes. Maybe a husband ought to do that on occasion, at least on an occasion. To do the dishes, to mow the grass, to take the trash out or to take the trash down to the curb on trash day. That he ought to take his kids to the park and play ball with them. And rather than spending all his money on cars and TVs and tools and everything that gratifies his own covetous heart, maybe I ought to take some of that money and give it to his wife and say, hey, honey, I noticed you haven't bought any clothes in a really long time. You could probably use a few new clothes. So here's five bucks. <laughs> I'm just kidding. A little bit more than that is going to be needful. But maybe do that or maybe give some spending money to the kids or maybe use some of that money that you get on those expensive tools to be able to take your wife out on a getaway and to show some love on her and remind her you haven't forgotten about her amongst the busy schedule of work and ministry and kids and everything. He ought to maybe take a take a son out on a fishing trip, spend time with them, serve the needs of his family. Someone living in the home of their parents ought to ask, what can I do to help? What can I do to take something off your plate? I know you're busy. I know you're working all the time. I kind of just sit at home and play video games all day and on the computer, you know, hopefully it's not that way at this age, but you're like, what can I do to help? Can I mow the grass for you? Do you need me to go to the store for anything? You know, or, or mom might be making dinner and she says, oh, we're out of that. And you just say, hey, I'll go get it for you. you know, that's a way to serve the needs of your parents. A boss ought to use his liberty to evaluate the needs of his employee. You know, as a boss who's interested in others, as a boss who is thinking about those who work for him, he's going to be able to look at people and just tell if they're having a bad day, if, to tell if they're worn down, that maybe physically it's taking a toll on them, or maybe he can tell that their mind is somewhere else. A, a boss who's practicing the right kind of Christian liberty is going to call that man into his office, not just when he's in trouble, but when he's struggling, and say, hey, do you need some time off? Are you doing Okay. What's going on with your family? Could you use some time with your family? You know what a really good boss will do? He'll say this, look, I'm going to give you a couple days off and I'm going to just count them as PTO, give you a couple extra paydays. Your family needs you. Your family's more important than work is. That's what a godly Christian boss will do for an employee who is abundantly overwhelmed. That's how you use your liberty. <laughs> See, the the word of God doesn't just explicitly spell out how much PTO somebody gets. That means you have liberty as a boss. And so you could say, take a couple extra days. We got this. In a relationship, don't use that person to get what you want out of them. Understand their needs. And, it, you know, it's so funny. Our day and time, it's not funny. It's sad. But in our day and time, Folks just refuse to commit to marriage. They think that you got to have it all figured out, make sure it's all going to work right. But when it comes to Christian marriage, that's a moment of faith. You know, my, my wife and I, we were together for two years. And in our sheltered Christian world, that's a pretty 
lengthy time to be together before you get married. So I know some that are six months and boom, they're married after that. Some even less than that. Um, I, I think even Brother Dale and Miss Linda were less than that. That was an act of faith, brother. You, you just knew each other for several months, right? But you know what? They're still here. How many years later? 40 years later. See, what's, what's happened is we've taken faith out of marriage. And so now we're saying, instead of committing, let's just move in together. Let's see if this is going to work out. Let's see. And if it doesn't work out, then, you know, there's no there's no divorce papers that need to be filed. We just move out. We, we take our stuff back and just go our separate ways. But listen, that's not a way that Christ would call us to use our liberty. No, it's to commit by faith. Because you know what that commitment will do? It'll help that lady understand he's not just using me. He's here for the long run. We've got to get back to that. As church members, we ought to look for ways to serve others. You see somebody before our anniversary service trying to walk in and they've got their dessert in this arm and they've got a kid in this arm and they've got a slow cooker between their legs, you know, they're, you see them coming in, you know, don't just hold the door open and say, hey, thanks for coming, you know, go grab something, ask them if you can help. That's a way to just serve, be considerate of others. If someone needs a ride to church, offer them a ride. It's very some simple way to be able to help. Rather than talking about people, you hear that? Rather than talking about people to other people, Go to those people, get to know them, choose to love them. Let's remember that biblical love is not a feeling. Biblical love is an action. It says, look, it doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter if I can't stand their personality. Christ tells me to love them. I'm going to love them and I'm going to demonstrate that love to them. And so you go out of your way to set your needs, your desires, your feelings aside to try to meet the needs of this person and to help them in their Christian walk. We have been freed from the confining rules and regulations of the law. But don't use that liberty to serve yourself. Don't use that liberty to gratify your flesh, to pursue your passions, your ambitions, and your desires. Rather, use your liberty to serve others above how you would serve yourself. Leon Morris said this, we know love in the New Testament sense only because we see it in the cross. Jesus died to grant you this liberty that we now have. And not just liberty from the law, but liberty from your sin, liberty from the binding power of your sinful flesh. He gives you that. He gives you liberty from your past hurts, your past mistakes, your past failures, and he enables you to let all that go and to move forward in a new hope and in a new life, living this day righteous before God and here in this life. He has granted you that. And as Paul has labored to make clear in this book, the only way to find that liberty is through faith in Jesus Christ. And if you've never trusted him as your savior, you'll trust in him today. He will free you and he will give you the liberty that your soul 
deeply means. And what will happen is as we use that liberty to love and serve others, we will find a sweet harmony and peace both with God and with man because of the liberty that's been granted to us by Jesus Christ. Father, we come to you tonight and we're thankful for this liberty that we have in Jesus, that we're no longer bound to our past. We're no longer bound to our sin.